The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he shall be called. And you shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful, Counselor, 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 Mighty God, Mighty God, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Homestead Church. We're so glad you're with us today, celebrating the Christmas season, kind of the start of the Christmas season. Those are some of my favorite scripture verses surrounding Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. What a great line. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I'm praying for that for you and your family this Christmas season, for those maybe loved ones that you have that are far away, maybe geographically far away, far away relationally, far away from the Lord. We are praying that a light would dawn on them, that you would all just feel the celebration, the warmth of the Christmas season. We're so glad that you're going to celebrate with us. We've got some great things coming up over the next few weeks. Hope that you will, hope that you will join us. We are talking for a few weeks, a series called Good News. We started it last week, and the reason we wanted to do this series is because we believe that there is good in the world. We've been in a season in our nation, in our world, where if you watch the news, if you go online, if you surf any sort of media, you kind of get bombarded with bad news, and it's easy to start to think, wow, is it just bad news in the world? And we, as people of God, especially this time of year, we celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about um, how in any most days, you'll have a, an assortment of things that happen to you, some good, some bad. And at the end of the day, if you're to decide whether or not it was a good day or a bad day, it all depends on what you have focused on. We talked a little bit about um, the way we think, the way our minds work, how our minds adapt, how our minds will adapt to the ways that we think. If we are constantly thinking negatively, seeing the worst in any situation, our brains will actually rewire themselves to cause that to automatically happen. I used an example last week of when I was at the gym meeting with a physical trainer. They said, for your birthday, you can come and get a complimentary session. And I thought, well, that's a terrible idea, but I'll do it anyways. And so they, they started out this lovely young gal. She said, okay, what I want you to do is to just, and it's a lot of like lunges and squats and stuff like that. So I was saying, well, that's easy. And she she said, well, just kind of do a couple of these squats. So I did it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a pro at this. And then she said, okay, what you've done is your body has adapted to compensate. You're doing things the wrong way. And I said, what do you mean? I, I did it just fine. She said, no, what you're doing is your posture is forward and your legs are kind of pointed out like this. Now, here's what I want you to do. Point your toes straight forward, keep your posture back, and then try the same thing. And I tried it then. And you would have thought that I had never used my legs before in my life. All of a sudden, I, was, I turned into like a a newborn giraffe, all like wobbly and like couldn't, couldn't even move. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, your body has learned to compensate 
doing things the wrong way. You've be it's become habitual for you to do things the wrong way. Now we're training the muscles that are weaker to do things the right way. And I thought, well, that's a great illustration of how we think. Sometimes we have to retrain our minds to think towards the good things. And we looked at a couple verses of Scripture in Psalm 34. Magnify the Lord. Magnify to make bigger. Magnify the things of God in your life. Focus on him. Fix your eyes on him. We read in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul encouraging his people to whatever is true and honorable and lovely and pure, whatever is right, whatever is worthy of praise, think about those things. These are the things. So the challenge last week, for those of you who were here, was to kind of gauge how you think in a new environment, in a new relationship, meeting somebody new. Are you, and when you're hearing gossip or conflict or whatever it is, are you fixating on the negative or are you assuming the best? And so that was the challenge last week. I wonder how that went for you. Did anyone, uh, did anyone kind of think to themselves, wow, I've noticed a bad pattern of thought. Something in a, in a wrong way of thinking has become habitual. It's, um, it's kind of a joke in our house. Sorry, I've got kind of the winter sniffles. That's awkward. Um, it's become kind of a joke in our house. Our son, Charlie, is in Taekwondo. And the very first day of Taekwondo, the teacher got up there and encouraged all the students. He said, we are going to practice these drills, and we're going to practice them a number of times. We're going to practice and practice and practice. And, uh, and then he said, because practice makes, and everyone in the class, because they were new, said, perfect. Practice makes perfect. And he said, no, that is incorrect. He said, practice makes habits. And if you practice something the wrong way, you will become habitually doing things the wrong way. So we explained that to our kids, had a nice moment. Now, kids, we're going to practice doing the right things because practice makes habits. And, of course, our younger children said, practice makes rabbits. And so that's the joke in our house. Practice makes rabbits. But we encouraged you last week, and I want to encourage you again. Let's think about the good this Christmas season. Time with family and friends, there's going to be times, I'm sure, in most families there's times where there is good and maybe some conflict in the extended family when crazy uncle whoever shows up with his political rantings and there's conflict there. Well, let's practice thinking towards the positive, celebrating with our family, friends, celebrating this time of season, um, celebrating generosity this time of year, all the good that is in the world. So today we're going to continue on, part two of Good News Part two of Good News, we had that video and the song that Alan sang was wonderful, and we are going to talk a little bit about the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, which is the very well-known Christmas story, and then we're going to move ahead to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read about the good news. This series called Good News, well, the ultimate good news, of course, is what we celebrate this time of year, Jesus Christ coming to earth our Messiah, God with us, the hope of the world, God has come to us. So we're going to celebrate that and read this story together. But there is one part of this Christmas story which we're going to focus on today. One part that in the midst of all the good news of Christmas, this is the best part, in my opinion. This is the best news. So here's what we're going to do, a little group participation today. It's Sunday, getting close to noon. We're all wide awake, ready to go. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. It's going to be on the screen. Let's throw those on the screen. Verse 1 through 11, Luke, there you go. So we're going to read this together, all right? And then we will, this is kind of the Christmas story that hopefully you will read as a family at some point this month. Here we go, all together with enthusiasm and joy. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, sorry, was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the good news of this season. This narrative, I love that narrative. Our Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. These people, this, these people of God who had been longing for the Messiah for thousands of years, this Messiah had come. God in the flesh had come to earth. This is the good news. Forgiveness, mercy, salvation. But there's one part of that story that is the best news. And I love it in verse 10. And I'll just read verse 10 again to you. But the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I love that it's good news. That will cause great joy. We should be people of great joy. Good news for great joy for all the people. Good news of great joy for all people. The best part, the best part of that good news for me is those two words, all people. All people. This good news is not for the insiders. This good news is not for the people of God, the people who were born into some sort of a religious heritage, the people who had all the religious rules figured out. This good news is for all people. And it is so interesting to me that this angel appeared to the shepherds to tell them this. The shepherds who, if you put on a pecking order of the people of importance in a society, the shepherds would be right near the bottom. Those are the people that the angel appeared to to say these words. There is good news of great joy for all people. I love that the angel said that to the down and outs, the lowest rung on the ladder of society. These, this good news is for all people. And we're going to look at that idea today. As we celebrate good in the world, as we celebrate good news, we're going to celebrate this idea that God is a God of all people. There are no exclusions to this. There are no exclusions to the good news. We live in a world where there's always exclusions. Maybe you're like me, a little more cynical. Whenever I see an ad on TV, I'm always looking for the fine print. Some email that will come through saying, great news, there's a sale on this. And then you look and here's all the exclusions. We had uh, poor Dottie. Dottie's our youngest and she's just, she's just like Christy, just full of optimism and uh, always going into the world just expecting the best. And there was a, um, she was looking at one of her game websites and there was an email or something that popped up and said, 
good news, you just won a $100 Target gift card. So if you've been around the world long enough, you know this is spam. You know this is like expecting you to click on it, it's going to give you a virus or something. Maybe that's just me and my cynical world. But Dottie was so filled with joy. She's like, she ran in, Mom, guess what? I won a $100 gift card. And Christy looked like, oh, she had to break the bad news to poor Dottie. Poor, innocent, like rose-colored glasses, Dottie, seeing the world as beautiful all the time. And she was like crushed. She was like, why would somebody do that? She hasn't, she hasn't grown cynical yet like her father. Um, we live in a world where there are exclusions. There's fine print. There is, have you ever felt like an outsider in a certain environment? Ever been in an environment where you feel like, okay, I am not an insider here. I feel excluded here. Maybe there's something that you would love to do. Oh, you need to be a member there. You need to have a special membership card. I'd love to shop at Costco, but you got to have a membership card. Shop, like stores are all the worst now because you have to have like the special card to get like the special discounts. There's the, there's the insiders club. CVS, we have a CVS close to our store. They're the worst because you go in and you see the sign our daughter Betty went to buy beef jerky. I don't know why she would want beef jerky, but she went, and on the sign it said $2.99, and she said, awesome, I've got money, and then she went up to the cash register, and it rang up at like $7.99, and she's like, um, and the lady said, oh, that you have to have the extra care card to get that price. That's for card members only, so again, another, you know, bash to the optimism of my children caused by corporate America, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have to have the inside, you have to have the membership card. We live in a world of exclusions. We love to decide in this world who is in and who is out. And maybe you would even put church into that category. Maybe a church experience that you've had growing up in your past. You learned right away, oh, this church is very much for those who are on the inside. And then we know full well those who are on the outside. And I pray that you never experience that here at Homestead because our God is an all-people God. There are no exclusions to his good news. We should always remember this when we are viewing others. We should always remember this when we're viewing ourselves. This good news is for, our, for all people. To never think that somebody is too far gone. To never think that ourselves are too far gone. This is good news for all people. And some of you today need to hear this just even right now, this could be the end of the sermon because you are in a spot where you feel you have wandered from God and you wonder if he's even interested in having a relationship with you, if he even notices you anymore. And the good news of great joy is for all people, everyone, everyone included. That is the good news of the season. And maybe you think, maybe you're still cynical like me looking at coupons and TV commercials, you apply that to God. You think, well, I'm not sure that that's the God that I have an experience with. The experiences that I've had with church and with God have been very exclusive, very kind of standoffish. So I'm not sure if I even believe in that God that you're talking about today. Well, I want to look at a couple examples, and you don't have to believe that God is an all-people God because I say so. We're going to look at the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at what Jesus said about God the Father, describing God the Father. This is in Luke chapter 15. Now, I'm going to read the first couple of verses to you just to kind of set up. Jesus is talking to a group of followers. And typically, and I've said this before, when Jesus had a group of followers around him, there was two groups of people. There was the religious people, the Pharisees, the rule followers, 
They were the ones who decided who was in and who was out. They were the goody-goodies of church, the rule followers. They were superior. They felt they were better than everyone else. And they would have thought that Messiah had come exclusively for them. The Messiah is our Messiah. And in addition to the Pharisee religious people, there were kind of the down and outs. Jesus attracted a crowd of people who the society wanted nothing to do with. And so this is kind of the environment that Jesus keeps finding him in. And we're going to read chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. Um, It says this in 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is kind of this tense environment that Jesus keeps finding himself in or intentionally inserting himself in, I, I like to think is more the case. He's kind of got this conflict of these two groups of people. He's eating and hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, the people that nobody wanted anything to do with. This is who this Messiah is hanging out with, eating with, spending time with. And the religious people are muttering and murmuring, and they see this as definitely something that needs to be stopped. So this is the environment. And Jesus kind of picks up on this. And I love that Jesus, first of all, is doing this. I love that Jesus is hanging out with people who are nothing like him. And it's interesting to me that the people who were the down and outs, the sinners, the worst of the worst, they liked Jesus. They liked Jesus. I think as followers of Jesus, that's a lesson for us, is we in the world, when we're around all sorts of people, they might not agree with what we believe in, but they should like us. We should be people that they're like, hey, I don't believe everything they do, but those are great people. We should be like Jesus. Followers of Jesus should follow this example of hanging out with people who are nothing like him. But this is the environment that's going on. Two distinct groups listening. And it's very obvious to everybody listening that there are these two groups, the sinners and the religious type. And in this environment, everybody knows, or at least they think they know what God is like. Everybody knows what God is like. At least they think they do. And it's in no coincidence that Jesus in this environment tells three stories, tells them about the heart of God. So we're going to look at these three stories really quick today. Jesus goes on and tells three stories. He teaches often in parables. I like that he teaches in illustrations and parables rather than just giving a list of things. And the first one he, and I'll just read through little bits of this. The first parable he tells is of the lost sheep. The lost sheep. And he tells these people, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And this would be familiar language to the audience. A lot of people there would have been shepherds and are at least familiar with that. Suppose you had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away, one of them got lost. Would you not leave the 99 who are found and go find the lost? And everyone there would have thought, well, yeah, that's what you would do. You want to go find the one that's lost. Again, familiar language to everyone is listening. And then he goes on to say, but would you then, when you find it, would you rejoice because what was lost has been found? You would rejoice because what has been lost has been found. It says this in verse 7. I'll read this for you. Jesus is saying, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And in this environment, that would have offended the 99 kind of the, the religious people. They would have been offended by that. What do you mean? They would have thought, Jesus, it sounds like what you're saying is this one who has wandered off is more important than us, the religious people. And that is what Jesus is communicating to them, the heart of God. What Jesus is trying to get across is the heart of God is for those who are lost. 
this good news for all people, Jesus says it's going to apply to those who are far away and who are lost. Have you ever lost a kid? You don't have to put your hand up in case you haven't told your spouse that you lost a kid once. Um, I, you know, we used to, this used to be more of the case when kids were younger, we'd take them to the zoo, and inevitably, if they were with me, one would kind of wander off and see something. And we never had, like, the, you know, shut down the zoo, look for the missing kid moment. But we had the times where, at least for a few minutes, one of the kids had wandered off. And if you've experienced that, you know, it kind of starts with the, huh, it's probably okay. And then it just, you feel it, like, sinking in, like, the ramifications of this. And dads, if it's you, at no point, I mean, if I, if I called Christy and said, Christy, Here's the deal. We lost Betty, but we still have the other three kids, right? We still have got the other three. So good news. That would not apply, right? The focus, the, the, um, the urgency is for the one who is lost. And Jesus is teaching this, saying this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God for those who are lost. Jesus goes on and tells another story right after this. The parable of the lost coin. And I'll just read that for you. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins, something that would have been very valuable at the time. This is in verse 8 of 15. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, Jesus driving home this point. There is more rejoicing when one who is lost comes back, when something that is of value is lost and gets found. Jesus is saying, not only are they important that we go find the one that is lost, but there is great value in the one who is lost. God places huge value on lost people. His good news is for all people. And the third story that Jesus tells, and this is one that's one you've probably heard before, very well known. It's the parable of the lost son, or we would often refer to it as the prodigal son. And this is a story that is similar to the other two, but there's an added element, an added element, because this involves a son who wanders off on his own who rejects the love of his father, who betrays the love of his father. And I'm going to read the first couple of verses, verse 11 and 12 of, of chapter 15. And Jesus continued into this third story. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this is how Jesus sets up this third story. Telling a story of a son who was lost, telling a story of a son who goes to his dad. Imagine this in today's world. If you are older and you have a son who would be able to come to you and say this, Dad, I know you've worked your whole life to build this estate. And I know that when you die, I'm going to get half of it. So why don't we just pretend you're dead right now and give me my half of the money? This would not go over well in family reunions, right? This would not be something good. But the father agrees to this. The father agrees to this. Now, this would have been shocking to the audience, especially the religious people. They would have been shocked to hear this story. The younger son takes his half of the money. Maybe you know the story. He takes his half of the money. He goes, and in wild living, he squanders all the money. He spends all the money. He just blows all the money, living the high life for I don't know how long. 
for a while. Well, then a famine came to the land, and all of a sudden poverty strikes. And this young son who had so much, who wanted so much from his father, who wanted to go live the high life, had nothing, living in poverty. And then in verse 17, it says this, the son came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. The younger son who took his half of the inheritance and wasted it now has come to his senses. The moment before this, kind of a gross part of the story, he gets hired on to feed pigs. For, at a, you know, gets hired on by a, a landowner and a farmer, and his job is to feed the pigs. So he's walking around in the pig slop, and he finds himself so hungry that he's longing for the food that the pigs are eating. And that's kind of his wake-up call. That's when he came to his senses and says, I am going to go back to my father repent, and I know that he won't want anything to do with me, but maybe he'll take me back as one of his servants. So he goes back to the father. Now, I imagine Jesus telling this story. The audience, I don't know how big the crowd was, but they are probably hanging on every word, and they probably know what's going to happen. They are applying themselves into this situation. If it was me, my kid took half of my money, wandered off, wasted it, and then came crawling back. There would not be forgiveness there. This would have been, in this culture, there's no way anybody in that situation would have said, sure, take the kid back. They would have had this one figured out. They would have said, I get sheep. I get one sheep wandering off. Sheep do that. I get the lost coin. Sometimes we misplace things. Sometimes we lose things. But this involves a betrayal. This third story involves a son betraying his father. Sheep don't know any better. Coins don't know any better. But this kid should have known better, right? This involves not only wandering away, something being lost, but involves a broken heart of the father. So what happens next, picking it up in verse 20 where we left off, as the son is going back to the father, says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with, and everyone is going to fill in the blank here, anger, rage, revenge, whatever it is. It says, the father, while his son was a long way off, the father saw him, and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And I bet you could have heard a pin drop in that audience right then. Like, what? Compassion? What kind of story is this? What kind of story is this? They would have thought, this father's a fool for taking his son back. Compassion, there's no way. And then to hear this father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And not only that, threw a party to celebrate. Maybe you've heard the phrase, kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. This is, what, this is from this story. Kill the fatted calf. We are going to have a banquet. We are going to celebrate for what was lost. My son, who was lost, has now returned, has now returned. So they throw this big party for the lost son. The lost son is restored to being a son in the family. You ever wonder what happened to the other brother? He's sitting there watching. The other brother starts getting a little jealous, starts saying, Dad, hello, I didn't mess up. I'm still here. I've been with you the whole time. And you're throwing a party for younger brother after what he did? And the father says to the other brother, he says, Son, you've been, always been with me. I love you. You know, what I, you know my love for you. But our... My son who was lost, who wandered off, has now come home. Once again, Jesus reiterating, there is more celebration for when lost people 
come home. This good news is for all people, those who are far off, seeing them come home. These are the points that Jesus is making. Jesus drives home his point to the audience saying this, you think you might know what God the Father is like. Let me tell you what God the Father is like. Let me tell you his heart for all people. Let me tell you his heart for those who are lost. You may think God is the God of categorizing. Those who are in, those who are out. Those who are good, those who have messed up. Picking his favorites. And Jesus is saying again, God is the God of open arms who not only welcomes back those who are lost, but when he sees them returning, runs to them, embraces them, and there is a celebration, even for those who have willfully run away. Our God is an all-people God. Our God is all about those who are far off being found, those who are lost being found. His passion, his priority, if you will, the reason he came to earth, the reason he sent Jesus to come to earth is to bring the good news, to take those who are disconnected with God and connect them with God in relationship. And maybe that's you today. You are still far from God. You don't have that relationship. Maybe you have that relationship with God. But all of us at one point did not have that relationship with God. And that is why Jesus came, so that all people could receive the good news. All people. Everybody here. All people. That includes people here. That includes people at your work. That includes people on your street, in your neighborhood. So as we uh, wrap up in a few minutes, I want to just apply this, first of all, to you. You personally. Maybe you are thinking that you are like that son who was wandered off. Maybe it's not a huge like betrayal, but maybe you just feel like, yeah, I am far from God. I don't feel close to God. I have messed up. I keep messing up. I keep making decisions. I keep tripping over this area of my life. I just keep falling. I keep failing. And certainly God has had enough. Certainly God has had enough of giving me one more chance. I feel like that son who wandered away and then came back, only I feel like I've done that a hundred times. Certainly the love of God is going to wear out for me. The scripture rings true. Nothing will separate you from his love. Bible is very clear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We did not do anything to earn it. His love for us is not based on being the children that never do anything wrong. His love for us is based on his heart for us, for all people. So like the son in the story, if you have wandered away, if you feel far from God, God's love is unchanged for you. He is like the father with a heart full of compassion that welcomes you back. He is an open-arms God. So if that's you, if you need to hear that message today, just receive it. Receive the love of God. Be like that son. Come to your senses and say, I need to return to God. Come back to God. He is there accepting, receiving all people. And another thing I want to apply this to and I want to talk to you today is how we apply this to other people. How we apply this to other people. I want us as a church to never, ever underestimate God's ability to change a heart. God's ability to welcome back those who are lost. God's ability to take someone who is so far lost and turn their life around. You may have a heavy heart today for a loved one who is wandering far from God. He longs for them to return. Keep praying. Keep loving. Never write them off. Never underestimate God's ability to reach those, to draw people to him, to receive them, to love them, to forgive them. 
And as Homestead Church, I want this to be a reminder for all of us today. We must always have the same focus. We are followers of Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. With the priority, with the heart for seeing those who are lost come home. For seeing those who are in darkness to see the light of Jesus. To see the good news go to all people. I was reading a book by Bill Hybels, pastor of a church, a very large church in the Chicago area. Talks about this. He says, Jesus knew that this good news applies to everyone. As he engaged with vagrants, with liars, with cowards, with crooks, his good news remains the same. The old can be new. The lost can be found. The broken can be restored. The prideful, humbled, and the weak, strong. The fallen can be restored, and the wanderers can come home. What a great idea of this good news being for all people. I have a friend who I don't see very often. We used to go to church together when I worked at River Valley Church in Apple Valley. Um, His name is Dennis, and Dennis is one of my favorite people. About Probably about 10 years ago now, Dennis was in jail. He was at the low of the low. He was incarcerated. He had been involved in crime. He was addicted, and he was down and out. I mean, if you thought, who's the furthest away, you would think, well, there's a guy who is a criminal, a drug addict, and in prison. So that's, you know, pretty far gone, right? And, uh, and I love the story of Dennis because it didn't happen overnight, but this Dennis is a story of God turning a life around. When he got out of prison, he got invited to church, started coming to church, got saved, gave his life to the Lord, and you could just start seeing the love of God transform his heart, and it was just amazing to see. I remember days when I'd be up leading worship. Dennis was my favorite because he would be like front center, and I imagine if you've gone through what he's gone through in his life, you're like, I don't know, I'm standing right here in the front. And Dennis, to this day, I believe, has the largest worship wingspan ever. Like, he's big arms, this big guy just, just arms out, worshiping God every day. And I would just lose it. I get emotional now thinking about it. But I remember leading worship, and I couldn't, I would say to him after, I'm like, Dennis, I'm sorry, I can't even look at you because I just start getting emotional seeing you. Your life has been changed. You are worshiping God. And I thought, man, never, never underestimate the power of God to change a life. Look at what he did for Dennis. And so yesterday, and I wasn't planning on telling this story, but yesterday I was looking on Facebook, and Dennis had posted this yesterday. Now, what has happened since God turned his life around? He's gone through classes. He's gotten credentialed. He is a licensed minister. He goes around preaching in prisons and in other events. So this was his post on Facebook yesterday. I love this. This is a quote from Dennis. He said, Last night I spoke at a men's night in Red Wing. And a couple of guys from my past came to listen. One of them used to ride in a motorcycle gang with me. And he said to me last night, Dennis, me and you used to be bad men. I love that line. Me and you used to be bad men. Well, he gave his life to Christ last night. And when I saw his hand go up, I lost it. This is Dennis talking. And I will give all my glory to my Savior Jesus Christ. I lost it. Another moment where Dennis, who's had his life transformed from being addicted in prison, life of crime, to now he is preaching and seeing friends from his past having their lives transformed. I thought, wow, you never, ever, ever underestimate the power of God to change a life, to change a heart. Those who you would think are so far gone, I like meeting them and I think, oh, it's going to be so awesome when they get saved, when God transforms their heart. I think about that. 
For those who are far off, may we never underestimate his power to change a life. So for Homestead Church today, and here's what I want to say to you. As we grow as a church, in the future of Homestead Church, there are going to be people who walk through our doors. There are going to be people like Dennis. There are going to be people in our community who you look at, and the tendency for those who have been in church for a long time are going to be to look at them and say, E, I'm not sure if they belong here. They're kind of the outsiders. We're going to look skeptically at them. But I want us to change our focus to that of Jesus, who when he was around sinners, the worst of the worst, he had compassion on them. He welcomed them. He preached that this good news was for all people. I want us, when we see what we would call, quote-unquote, the worst of the worst come into our church, I want our first response to remember these words, never underestimate that God can change any life. Never underestimate the power of God to change someone's heart. Always look at people with potential. Not potential in their own strength, but potential for the love of God to transform them. This love of God that runs deep for all people. This good news that brings great joy for all people, all who are lost. God is an all-people God. Amen. Let's pray as we close today. God, thank you for your heart. Lord, we read these stories in Scripture, these, re- these stories that Jesus taught these stories that Jesus used as a way for us to get a glimpse of your heart for people, the way for us to get a glimpse of your heart for those who are lost. We thank you for your heart. This good news that we celebrate this time of year is for all people. So for those who are here today who maybe feel far away from you, I pray that you would stir their heart. I pray that as they turn and they look to you that you would welcome them in, and we know that you will. We thank you that you welcome people back. And as we're praying this morning, if that's you and you feel far from God, or maybe you have never made that commitment to follow God, just reach out to him. Just say, God, I turn to you. Like that son in the story who came to his senses and came back to the Father. I do that to you today, God. I come back to you. I repent of my sin, and I come back to you. And if you'd pray that prayer, the Bible says that you are now a child of God. And Lord, we pray for us as a church that we would have your heart for the lost that we would look for those in our workplaces, in our communities, that we wouldn't just look for the people who kind of feel like our people, but we would look for those who seem down and out. We would look for those who maybe have been excluded by everyone else and that we would welcome them in. And everyone we meet, we would always remember, you have amazing power to change a life. And so for friends and family, loved ones, neighbors, people that are close to us that are wandering far from you, we pray for them. We ask that you would draw them close. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the good news that brings us great joy and is for all people. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.